Good morning. How are you doing today? Is God good? And all the time. We got to try that one again. Is God good? And all the time. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for friends we haven't seen in a little while. And we thank you for family members that you have laid your hands on and healed. And people that we care about that have uh, come through difficult and dark times. And Lord God, we now ask that you would just anoint us with your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, lives and hearts to apply your word. And we ask that you do this by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to read a scripture as we start this morning. We will be in Genesis chapter 4. But before we get there, I want to read something to you. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 6, Paul tells us, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that is Jesus, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. I don't give my messages a title because we go expositionally through the scripture, but if I was going to, slaves to sin, what does that mean? Well, I think we understand that more than we would care to admit. What does it mean to be a slave to sin? Well, in our account today in Genesis chapter 4, we're going to see that that's exactly what happened to Cain. Cain became a slave to sin. He didn't have to be, but he did become a slave to sin. Let's read. We'll look at verses uh, 1 and 2 in chapter 4 in the book of Genesis. We learn there, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, With the help of the Lord, Jehovah, I have brought forth a man. And later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. The first thing we need to understand, we need to completely embrace, is that this is not a comprehensive account of the children of Adam and Eve. So many people read this, and they come to, I understand why, but they come to this conclusion that this is, Uh, the first two children, and and that we probably believe it's the first two. Cain was certainly the first. But we see that there were probably many, many other children born to Adam and Eve. More than likely, who knows how many. They lived to be in their 900s. So, quite frankly, and they were born adults, if you will. They were created adults. So, to assume that these were the only two children alive at this time is what many people do. And that would be wrong. So let me set the stage. Let me change perhaps what you've always thought and say that this is just mentioning two of the descendants of Adam and Eve because they are the two that are involved in the account. Now, a couple of other things I want to say, and I'm looking around to see if we have any really young children here. I might use a word that, you know, some parents don't want their children to use. Not a bad word, but a word that, you know, you, you probably don't want to hear them use at home. So if there are any young ones here, I don't think so. I think we're okay. Listen, this is not necessarily the first time that Adam and Eve had sex. I think that's one of the mistakes that people make as well. They look at this account and they think, oh, so they were intimate and then Cain was born. Listen, some would try to suggest, and this is the danger, that sexuality was the result of sin. This has been a teaching that has been unfortunately taught throughout the centuries. This idea that somehow sex and sexuality were the result of sin. But it was always God's plan that they were to be fruitful and multiply. Can I hear an amen? You remember that, right? That was before sin. So that assumption is wrong. It's incorrect, clearly. God designed the animals, male and female, with the ability to reproduce, and he created man, male, and female with the ability to reproduce. So that is not a problem. They were created with the purpose that they would become, do you remember this in chapter 2? 
one flesh. So that dispels any horrible teachings that would suggest otherwise. Now, their being involved, being intimate, having sex is mentioned here so that we can understand that Cain was their first child. Certainly not their only child. We'll see two of the other descendants are mentioned, but he was their first child. And did you notice that she gave credit to the Lord? She gave credit to the Lord for her ability to have a son. You see it there? She says, with the help, right? With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. So understand that had they had children before the fall, childbirth would have been much easier. But because of the fall, childbirth would have been very difficult and painful. And as a result, she says it this way, with the help of the Lord. God got me through it. There's an acknowledgement that it was a difficult experience. It wasn't designed to be that way originally. But we saw that God had brought a curse, but really they brought the curse on themselves. He proclaimed the curse, but the curse was the result of sin. So she gives credit to the Lord for her ability to have a son. Now Cain, in Hebrew... It's wordplay. It sort of sounds like the word for brought forth. Cain is Hebrew, but the word for brought forth is kenach. Kenach. So that's why she named him Cain. She may have thought that he was the promised seed of the woman. We don't know. But in chapter 3 and verse 15, she was told that she would have an offspring the seed of the woman. And then that would be their savior. That would be the one that would save them. He would strike the head of Satan who would strike the heel of the seed of the woman. Now, when you think about it, the seed of the woman doesn't make any sense. But it does because Christ is the seed of the woman. Amen? So you see that that's that's the truth there. So perhaps, perhaps at this point they thought, oh, great. Here's the one that's going to save us But, of course, it would be many, many years before Christ would be born. But Cain, as we learn later on in 1 John chapter 3, actually belonged to Satan. And that's what the scripture tells us. Cain belonged to the evil one. The evil one. He didn't belong to God. Now, that's that's interesting. So, Pastor Tim, are you telling me that when a child is born... There are some children that belong to God and some that belong to Satan. Yes, I am. Because God knows the end and the beginning. It is possible for God and God alone to look at the life of a person and say that person will end up in hell or that person will be saved. Now, the problem theologically is, does God influence the choice that a person makes? Yes. But does he control it? No. There is influence, the influence of the Holy Spirit that that seeks to bring a person to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But remember, to as many as received him, to those that believed on his name, he gave the right to become or to be called the children of God. So you and I, as people, as individuals, as human beings, we have to make that choice for ourselves. And God is not going to make that choice for you. He will seek to influence that choice. Anyone here influenced by the Holy Spirit? I certainly was and am and continue to be. So there's a difference between influence and control. Parents, I'm going to say this to you so you can be encouraged. Your job is to influence your children. Have you figured out you can't control them? Have you figured that out yet? I hope so. You can only influence them. Now, here's the thing. Your influence can be rejected. I like to say it this way. God had two children in the garden, and they both failed. God had, when he walked the earth, Jesus Christ had 12 apostles, and one failed. God is a parent that understands the failure of children. Because no matter how much influence you give them, they still have ultimate control of their decisions. So Adam and Eve have a son, and for whatever reason, 
he was a child of the evil one. And that was borne out over time, as we'll see. Now, he had the opportunities that other people have, but he rebelled against God. And that's why God can say he was or belonged to the evil one or Satan. So it's a choice that you and I make. We make that choice. God knows the choice before we make it, but he makes everything possible for us to make the right choice through influence. And still, of course, we can choose the wrong thing. And that's really what we're talking about today. The idea of being a slave to, to sin. <coughs> Slaves to sin. <clears throat> okay. So, he was the first in a long line of the serpent's seed. Do you remember when we were in chapter 3? What the scripture said about the seed of the woman, but it also talked about the seed of Satan. For after all, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed or offspring and hers. So there is a seed or an offspring of Satan and there is the offspring of the woman. We are all the offspring of Satan. That is, all of us are going to hell apart from the saving knowledge, the knowledge of the salvation that we can have if we ask for God to save us in the person of Jesus Christ. You and I, we have to make that choice or we end up like Cain. So no one is born destined to go to hell except that God knows what's going to happen before it happens. Now there's some people that would disagree with that theologically, but then why would God say choose? Just because God knows the outcome doesn't mean he makes the choice for us. But God does know the outcome. So in God's mind, yes, we're predestined. The scripture testifies to that. But in our minds and in our hearts, we have a choice to make. Have you made that choice? I pray you have. Because if you haven't, then you will remain a sinner for all eternity. You will remain the seed or the offspring of the evil one, like Cain did. Sadly, because he rejected God. It's a very important principle that we see right up front. Now, I've mentioned this already. They continued to have children after Cain was born. They continued to have children. They didn't stop having children. It's not as if they said, well, Cain and Abel, well, that's two boys. That'll be nice. Abel was probably their second child. Possibly not. But certainly not their last Both of these sons grew to maturity with a number of additional siblings. They are not mentioned because they don't take part in the account that we read in chapter 4. So, in time, we learn, Abel became a shepherd and Cain became a farmer. Did you see that? It says, later she gave birth to his brother Abel, and now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. So that's the setup. We don't mention any of the other children because they don't need to be mentioned. So, we now get to verses 3 through 7. And in verses 3 through 7, we see that Cain brings what you could call an unacceptable offering. An unacceptable offering. He brings to God that which cannot save him or cover his sin. Look at verses 3 through 7. In the course of time... Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord Jehovah. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offspring, excuse me, and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Does that sound like a choice? Say amen if you, if you agree. That sounds like, that sounds like a choice. Does it sound like God is giving Cain a choice? Yeah, he is. You have a choice, Cain. Sin wants to own you, but you need to own it. Do you own your sin? 
You know what it means to own your sin? Admit it. Confess it to God. Look for the sacrifice in Jesus Christ to cover that sin. That's the only difference between you and every other spawn of Satan in the world. You and I who come to Christ have acknowledged we need to make a choice. And we look to the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection to save us. This makes you absolutely no better than anyone else in the world. Take the most wicked person, whether they be in the White House or they be around the corner. That person is just as much a sinner as you, as me, as all of us. What have you done? Have you owned your sin? Or does your sin own you? We're encouraged, remember in Romans, not to be slaves to sin. Now, sin will never serve us. But we need to not serve sin. We can be slaves, as you continue to read in Romans chapter 6, we can be slaves to righteousness. That is really servants of righteousness. Now, wait a minute. Are any of us righteous? No, not one. So when we talk about being a servant or a slave to righteousness, we're talking about serving God. So the choice to boil it down is do you serve God or don't you? Do you serve God or do you serve your sin? Are you a slave or a servant of God, as Paul says, or are you a slave or a servant of sin? Now, this offering, let's talk about why this was not accepted. You know, I've had people say to me, Pastor Tim, it doesn't seem fair. This isn't about fair. This is about obedience. And I'll remind you of our study last week when we saw that God brought the first animal sacrifice, and that blood covered the sins, not only the sins, but the skins covered the bodies of Adam and Eve, the first atonement. God prescribed the way that he wanted to be worshipped at that time and the way that he is worshipped today through the death of Jesus Christ. But Cain decided that he didn't like that. See, Cain and Abel got together, and they would worship God, I believe, once a week. What do I, why do I say that? Well, Cain and Abel would worship God on the seventh or the last day of the week. That was their day of rest. That was the Sabbath. They practiced the Sabbath. How do I know that? Do you remember the creation account? The creation account tells us that God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. See, the Sabbath didn't come about as a result of the law, just like animal sacrifice didn't come about as the result of the law. All the law did was codify animal sacrifice and make a commandment to do the right thing. But keeping holy the Sabbath day is something that actually precedes the law. And that's why, though we are not under the law, we're still to practice the Sabbath. So many people don't understand that. You see, the law is the law, but there are things that the law codified that are still right, like thou shall not kill and thou shall keep holy the Sabbath day, and honor your mother and father. All the law did was take the things that were right and put them in law. But to say now that we don't need to to follow that law would be to discount the word of God. And so the Sabbath, I believe it was the seventh day, it makes perfect sense. But here's the reason I really believe it. You see that phrase, in the course of time? In the course of time to us, in verse 3, just sounds like, well, at some point. But actually, that word or that phrase literally means at the end of the days. At the end of their days? No, at the end of the days. At the end of the six days. See, when you look at it in the original, you realize at the end of the week. So this was the Sabbath worship. And here's the thing. Men would follow God's example in ceasing from their labors on the seventh day. And as I shared with you last week, I believe that they gathered at the entrance to the paradise of Eden. They couldn't enter in. But there you had the throne of God, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, described as a sword going back and forth. You had the presence of God. Why wouldn't they worship right there? I believe they did. And he had already communicated they were supposed to worship him through animal sacrifice on the seventh day. So... Adam and Eve had no doubt instructed their children, their sons, to worship the Lord. I'm sure that they communicated, 
what they had been taught by God. After all, they depended on that animal sacrifice to have fellowship with God. So, they knew that innocent blood must be shed as a condition for the forgiveness of sin. For, as the book of Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or forgiveness of sin. So what did Cain do? Cain offered an unacceptable offering to God. What do I mean? Well, Abel offered an acceptable offering. He offered the animal sacrifice of one of his flock. Cain, on the other hand, offered the work of his hands. Now, the immediate reaction you might have is, well, that's not fair. Abel is a shepherd. He has a flock. Cain only has the work of his hands. Yeah, but you don't think he ever ate meat? Well, actually, we, we, as far as we know right now, they didn't. It wouldn't be until later that Noah was told they could eat the flesh of animals. So at this point, the sacrifice was a consecration offering, a burnt offering. It was an offering of the animal where the animal was slain, the blood was shed, and the animal was completely consumed upon the altar. That was the sacrifice that was done at this time. That's how it was done. So, what could Cain have done? Well, he could have traded some of the crops for the animal to make the sacrifice. But he didn't. <clears throat> he didn't want to. He didn't, felt, he didn't feel he needed to. So he offered an unacceptable offering while Abel offered an acceptable offering. Cain was filled with pride. Clearly, he was uh, proud of his own works, the things that he was able to accomplish himself. But God regards that as evil. Do you know that? That if you bring the things you're proud of to God, God rejects that? He says, I reject the proud. I exalt the humble. It takes humility to make a sacrifice. Many times donations are made in pride, in, in proudness. It's, so I want to get this understanding in our minds. Giving is a good thing. But giving can never take the place of worship. Giving is the result of worship. It's not worship. We do worship the Lord through giving, but that's because we're worshiping the Lord and we give in response to who he is. But you can't just give your way and serve your way into the presence of God. It doesn't work that way. You come to God in humility. You ask God for forgiveness. You confess your sins and he's faithful to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But it's not because of anything you've done. This is the beginning of religion. Well, if we actually go back, the fig leaves were the beginning of religion, or at least the type of religion. But this becomes a real oddness to goodness religion. Let me work. Let me use my, my abilities, my pride, and bring the result of what I do to God in order for him to accept me. Now, you and I, we know this because we probably grew up in a religious system that promoted this idea with sacraments. We, I was taught, that it wasn't enough to just rely on the blood of Christ, but it, you needed to rely upon the things you do. Until I was 21 years old, I believed that when I died, I would stand before God and God would weigh all of the things I've done against the things I've done wrong. And someone said to me, before I was saved, briefly, shortly before I was saved, when I suggested that this is how I was going to get into heaven, he said, you won't even be able to open your mouth. And I was mad. I wanted to punch this guy. The funny thing is, there were two of us in the office named Tim. Me and this guy. And I didn't like this guy very much. He was always preaching. Had a sign on his cubicle wall from the Psalms. But the weird thing is, my name is Tim Gentle. His name was Tim Savage. <laughs> so someone came to me and said, you know, you should be savage and he should be gentle. 
But through the evangelism of not only that person, but many persons in, this, in, in my job, or my job, in the office, I slowly started to realize something. <clears throat> I needed Christ. I needed Christ. That my works were never going to work for me. Cain believed that he could earn his salvation. He believed that he could work and produce something through his pride and bring that to God and be accepted for that. Well, we know that God was not pleased. Abel's obedience to God rebuked Cain's disobedience to God. Because Abel did the right thing and Cain did the wrong thing and Abel was accepted and Cain wasn't, he was angry. And it showed on his face He was angry because he couldn't worship God in his own terms. He couldn't worship God on his own terms the way he felt he should be able to worship God. I can't tell you how many people are offended when I say to them, you can't worship God on your own terms. That is the number one conversation I have with people when I share my faith. You see, Jews follow the law in an attempt to please God, and they believe that they're saved because they obey God's law. But that's not what the law says. It's still a blood sacrifice. Muslims, they follow the Quran. They follow other teachings. They do things that they're told, sometimes that are in their scriptures that are evil, and sometimes that are not in their scriptures that are evil. But regardless, they do the things they do, believing that their actions will bring them eternal blessing. Buddhists, Taoists, other New Age religions believe that the better Hindus believe that the better that you are, the closer you'll get to heaven. All roads do not lead to God. There is only one way by which a man or a woman can be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Amen? John 14. So, What we know differentiates us from all religions. And as I said last week, we are not religious people. We don't look through the work of our hands and our actions to try to please God. In fact, the scripture tells me that my righteousness, the things I try to do right, are as filthy rags. There's nothing that I can do to please God apart from confessing my sin and asking for him to save me. So this is the way we're saved. We know this. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you know this. But the world is confused. The world is like Cain, the seed of the serpent. The world wants to worship God the way they feel they should worship God. And they don't want to look to Jesus Christ, who is the lamb who was slain. They don't want to. And so they don't. But like Cain, they're very angry. And if you've noticed... People that reject God and his word are very angry. Have you noticed that? Marching in the street, yelling, screaming at people, calling everyone haters. Why is that? Why are they angry? They're angry because in their pride, they believe that they can worship God on their own terms or they deny that God exists. Denying that God exists means you're a fool. The Bible says it's a fool. It says in his heart that there is no God. If you knew you were a fool, or if you felt like a fool, you'd probably be angry. And if you were trying to be good as a slave to sin, and all you ever did was fail, you'd probably be angry as well. And you'd make up all kinds of reasons for why you weren't failing. And when people would say to you, oh, you know you're a sinner, they would say, no, I'm not. And you would say, yes, you are. And they would say, no, I'm not. And you would say, yes, you are. And and that person just continues in their sin and this cycle of failure. And I've been there, and you probably have as well. And you were probably angry at the world, at your parents, at everyone around you, with yourself. Most people, they say, oh, I'm depressed. You know what depression really is? It's you're angry with yourself. I mean, if you think about it, why why are you so unhappy? I don't know, I'm depressed. No, you are a sinner, and you won't admit it. And you're angry with yourself. And so what I guess I'm trying to say is sinners are angry people. Cain was a sinner. Cain was angry. Now, we get angry too, but we can be angry and sin not. Amen, as the scripture says. 
But here's the thing about Cain. Cain was angry because he couldn't worship God the way he wanted to worship God. Not Abel. He offered a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, because that's what God demanded. Cain, the work of his hands, the vivid picture of religion at its worst, an attempt to cover men's sins. Men can never cover themselves by the work of their own hands. It'll only make you angry and proud. God must cover us. God must cover us, the result of a blood sacrifice, and no longer animals, because Christ came and died on the cross for our sins once for all, to bring us to God. Amen? You're getting a lot of scripture today, (laughs) because this is the gospel. Okay, Cain had a choice to obey God, and so do you. But like his parents, he chose to disobey God. And when we do that, we prove that we're slaves to sin. And the Lord warned him, don't give yourself over to the power of sin. Let's look at that encouragement. Here's God giving Cain a choice. He said, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Well, what was right? The blood sacrifice was right. Not your actions, the blood sacrifice. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. What a graphic description that is. Now imagine if when you left your house today, someone was, God forbid, waiting outside in front of your door, crouching at your door, waiting to pounce on you. This is why we study martial arts, just in case that happens to happen. But let's say you walked out your door and something was there crouching, maybe an animal a rabid raccoon, let's say, just waiting to get you. That's a pretty scary thought, isn't it? But that's what you deal with every day when you open your eyes. Sin is crouching and waiting and looking for an opportunity to turn you into a slave to sin. That's the truth. And he goes on to say, it desires to have you, but, here's the but, you must master it. How do you master sin? How could you possibly do this? How could you do what is right? You can't. And therein lies the irony of this situation. God wasn't asking Cain to do it. He wasn't asking Cain to have the power to master sin. Abel understood he needed God to do that in his life. And so we differentiate Only two types of human beings in the universe. Those like Abel and those like Cain. And religion, at its best or worst, is very Cain-like. Whereas a relationship with God is Abel-like. Actually, it's able to save you. Let's continue. The Lord warned him. He warned Cain not to give himself over to the power of sin. Acceptance by God and worship would protect him from his sin nature, whereas rebellion against God would make him vulnerable to his sin nature. So when someone says, oh, Pastor Tim, I just can't help it. They're right. They can't. You can't. You can't help it. But if you come to Jesus Christ, he can help you. That's the truth this morning. We're all slaves to sin, but we don't have to remain that way. We can be freed. And if the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's see what happened. Because ultimately, if someone is in rebellion, trying to save themselves, they're angry, they're upset, and they're proud, it will almost always lead to violence. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Lie. So not only did he murder his brother, right? He lied about it. You see where sin and pride and anger and violence, where it leads? You end up being a murderer and a liar. 
if not in your heart, in actuality. Now, Jesus told us in John's gospel, he told us in John 8, 44, that Satan was a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. So is it any surprise that Cain, who rejected God and is a slave to sin, does the same thing that his father does? Remember when Jesus was speaking with the Pharisees and he said to them, after they insinuated that he was, I don't want to use the word in church, but without parentage. And he said to them, you do that which your father does, and your father is the evil one, the devil. They were saying, oh, you don't have a father, or you don't know who your father is. He was saying, you have a father, the evil one, and he is the one that you follow. He's the one that you copy. You do the things that he does. So this idea of people apart from Christ being damned and doomed to hell is real. There are pastors today that are trying to soften that message somehow. But it cannot be softened. The children of Cain exist today. I was once a child of Cain. If you will, I was a child of the evil one, an offspring of Satan. But there came that day where I went from being savage to living up to my last name. But that wasn't because of anything I did. It was because of God's grace and mercy in my life, the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the tomb. Can I hear an amen? You're going to have to help me out. My voice is a little weak today, as you probably noticed, but that's okay. I don't need to be loud to be effective, I hope. So, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain was guilty of premeditated, cold-blooded murder. They didn't get into a fight. They didn't have an argument that resulted in them killing, one of them killing the other. It was a plan. It was premeditated. You guys who like those true crime shows, you know, those shows where they try to solve these murders and everything, some of them are like documentaries, and then others are, you know, they're sort of like fiction. This wasn't easy uh, to, to see, but it was pretty easy to figure out what happened, right? Think about it. He planned it. We know what happened. He said, let's go to the field. And he killed him. He killed his own brother, Why? What did Abel do? All Abel did was show the truth in and through his life. As you and I, as we live the truth for Jesus Christ in our lives, people are going to hate us. Jesus told us that. They will hate you for my sake. You need to love your enemies, but they're going to hate you. Don't be surprised they treated the master this way. You're a servant, a slave. They're going to treat you the same way. So obviously Abel is the first martyr, He's martyred for his faith. He's martyred for his faith in God. And it's sad. It didn't need to happen, but it did happen. I believe, and it's possible, I don't know, that Abel may have even urged his brother to repent and do the right thing. But here we see, given who Cain was, this would have only angered him and probably provoked him to murder. So... Brothers and sisters, that's what the world wants for you. When those people screaming in the streets supporting terrorists talk about how they hate us and those that serve God, it's legit. They really do hate us. They really do want to kill us. Why? Think about it. The same reason that Cain wanted to kill Abel. We have the answer and they don't like it. So if they kill us, it justifies them. They justify themselves through evil. Hopefully this helps you understand, not that you need to understand the mind of a terrorist, but hopefully you can start to understand how people get to this place. It's Satan. They are children of Satan. And so were we. So were some of us, right? But now we're saved in the person of Jesus Christ. And they hate us the more for it. Okay. Back to what we read. 
Abel was a man of faith. He lived righteously. The scriptures tell us this. Cain was now controlled by his sin nature. God warned him. Sin is crouching at the door. But Cain is now controlled by his sin nature, and he's following Satan. He may not even know it, but he is following his father, Satan. Cain dared to lie about his sin when the Lord confronted them. I mean, God knew. God didn't ask the question, where are you, to Adam, because he didn't know where he was hiding. You know, it's really funny when you play hide-and-seek with really young kids. You count to ten, and then they come out and they tell you where they're hiding. I love that. I'm over here. The reason that God said to Adam, where are you, was because he wanted to connect with him and speak with him. He knew where Adam was. And God knew that Cain had killed his brother. The reason he asked the question was to reveal Cain's heart and hopefully bring him back into the fold, into the relationship that Cain could have had but didn't have with with God. So Cain dared to lie. He lied about his sin when the Lord confronted him. Adam and Eve did not. But Cain did. He knew where Abel's body was, but he didn't know where his spirit went. He didn't understand that connection. Have you ever thought about what happened to the spirit of Abel? Abel was the very first human being to reside in Hades, the place of the dead, Sheol, where ultimately Jesus would spend three days and three nights. He would anxiously await the seed of the woman to set his spirit free. And when Christ came, that's exactly what he did, according to Ephesians chapter 4. He set captivity free. But not only those who are dead, all those that were alive and all those that believe on his name. Are you free? He set us free, and we are free indeed. So, Cain's now controlled by his sin nature. He lies about everything. And so the Lord punished Cain for his murder of his brother Abel. And we read in verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, which literally means wandering, the land of wandering, which is east of Eden. I personally don't think the punishment was enough. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because I go to the school that you killed my brother, I'm killing you. That doesn't make me a good Christian. That just makes me honest. I'm just being honest about how I feel. That doesn't mean it's right. I'm not promoting that. In fact, Christ said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth is not the way we're supposed to approach things. But in my heart, I wanted God to blast Cain, at least take him out, right? Or am I the only weirdo here today? See, to me, it seems that God is once again being incredibly gracious. And sometimes his grace towards others ticks me off. And all of a sudden, I find myself looking a lot like Cain. Hmm. Or the prodigal son's uh, brother, right? How many times have we caught ourselves saying, that's not fair? I remember if I got in trouble, and my brothers got in trouble, and I got beaten, they didn't. I was very unhappy about it. I wanted equal beatings. Now, I, I use the word beatings. I don't mean they were actual beatings, although they were a lot more than most of you parents do to your children. <laughs> but it's amazing. Kids have this inflated sense of justice. Have you ever noticed how many times you do something for one, and immediately, it's like they go to law school, and they come out, and they're like, Exhibit A, the cookie. 
There were three cookies. Now there's only two. And you gave one to her. What about me? Right? Aren't we like that? We're so, we're, I mean, we're so wicked. We're slaves to sin. We're slaves to selfishness. This is who we are. You got to know that. It's crouching at the door. You, you got to master it. So let me, I already shared with you my real reaction. Now let me give you the Christian pastor reaction. Oh, it's so good to forgive people of their sins and be kind and merciful. You know what I'm thinking right now, right? Who really thinks that way? God. God does. And Jesus does. And he's encouraged us to be that way with others. But it's so difficult. Because I want vengeance, and yet the scripture says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I have to leave it with him. So what God does, I think personally, I would have gone harsher. But here's the thing. He would no longer be a farmer. Oh, that was his big claim to fame, right? That was his thing. I'm a farmer. Look what I produced. Look what I did with the work of my hands. His pride was in his farming God took that away. He would instead wander the earth. That's no picnic. And they didn't have prisons, so I guess it's kind of like a life sentence. And the Lord cursed the very source of his pride and his rebellion before God. He, that is Cain, had soiled the ground with the blood of his brother, and now the ground was cursed to him. When you think about it, that's probably an extremely generous but fair punishment for Cain. It, it probably is. You know, I'm not a big fan of timeouts. My dad didn't do timeouts. He did knockouts. <laughs> not really. He didn't really knock us out. He tried, but... I think the thing that I understand about mercy and grace, I understand because when I compare my heart to God's, in my heart I see a lot of justice. I often see anger, hostility, even violence. When I look at the heart of God, I see none of that. I see a God who would send his son to die and suffer all the things that I just mentioned. Hatred, violence, all those things, vengeance, for me. We have no idea how good God is. We could read the Bible the rest of our lives and never scratch the surface or understand the love of God. Now, I'm not saying that justifies sin. I'm not saying that you can't deal with sin harshly. But don't take the love of God away from your understanding of God when you're dealing with sin. You know, if I stand before the throne of God someday and God says, you know, I got this against you. You were a little too gracious. You were a little too merciful with people. You were way too forgiving. I'll go with that. If that's what happens, which probably won't. But if, that's what were, if that were to happen, something tells me that would be a far better thing than the alternative. Here's the situation now. Cain would be banished from his family and the Lord's presence. He realized his sin... And he realized the severity of the Lord's punishment. And that's what he says in verses 13 through 14. Think about it. He had lost his land, his occupation as a farmer. He had lost his family, because I'm sure they wanted to kill him. He lost his place of worship before God. He would be restless without a place to call home. He would be forced to purchase his food from others. And he would be hated by his family and targeted for retribution. All of that, interesting, all of that. That was the punishment that came upon Cain. But then he's concerned, listen, I mean, anyone sees me, they're going to know I'm Cain and they're going to they're kill me. They're going to justify killing me for what I did. And God in his infinite mercy, God gave mercy to this sinner. And this sinner, Cain, received mercy from the Lord in his punishment for sin. He received the Lord's protection in his wandering. He received the Lord's seal upon him as a sign of his protection. And then he lived in a land of wandering away from his people. 
Now, I can look at this and I can say, I'm like Abel. I would never be like Cain. But that wouldn't be accurate, would it? Let's be honest. Christ is like Abel. Abel is like Christ. I'm more like Cain than I care to admit. And here's the thing. If you continue in sin, as a slave to sin, and you refuse to master it, that is, bring it to God, you could lose everything you have. You could lose your occupation. You could lose your property, your family, your place of worship. You will be restless. You will be without a place to worship and a place to call home. You will be forced to depend on others. You will be hated by others, maybe even targeted by others. But if this describes your life, if you've lived the life of Cain, remember, you can receive the Lord's protection in your wandering. You can receive the Lord's seal, his Holy Spirit, as a sign of his protection. And you don't have to live a life of wandering apart from God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we see your love even in the first murder, even in this the result of sin. Even in the life and the sin of Cain, we see your mercy and your grace. If we choose to see it, we can see that anyone can be saved if they simply choose to receive your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, give to us a desire to grow closer to you. May we look to Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day, and not to ourselves or to the work of our hands. May we share this message with others. And when we sin, and we do, may we remember that we have that advocate, a word that really means an attorney, with the Father, the one mediator between God and men, the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to remember that you ever live to make intercession on our behalf. And that as we cry out to you, we can be saved. Lord, it's never too late for us. I don't know if it was too late for Cain. We're not really told. Maybe, maybe not. But I do know that your grace and your mercy, your long-suffering nature, makes it possible for the worst of us to spend an eternity with you in your presence forgiven and made right in the sight of God. Thank you, Lord, for this message of grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.